Alright, let's do it We got the OG And that is Original Gentleman uh, Mr. Ted Gustus Welcome to WBH Radio, sir, how are you? Very good, man I, I see you did some homework, man Oh, come you, on you, you, you already, yeah. I, I, I like that, man That's why I, when I checked you out before I said, this guy does some homework here, man he, I try to, I try to I, I saw that on your Instagram Ted Gustus is the OG, original gentleman Yes I thought that was, was perfect um, coach, Of the gentleman factory For sure, right, for sure yeah Mm-hmm Coach, you have done a lot of amazing things in the city, uh, specifically when it comes to the sport of basketball. You've coached at Bishop Blockland. You've coached at Canarsie High School. You've coached at Nazareth Regional. You even played your college basketball here in this great city. Mm-hmm. You had guys make it to the ranks of the NBA, uh, John Sally over there at Canarsie. When you look at your basketball resume, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the 97% that don't go on to play college basketball. Mm. I know 3.2% of the uh, young people go on to play college basketball from high school, according to the NCAA. But the greatest thing is to be able to take that 97% and convince them Mm -hmm. without destroying their dreams and everything that they needed to go on to college. So they're... When I say didn't go on to play college ball, they went on to college. And to me, that is the most important thing that um, I've done over my career. And when I see them, like yourself and people around, I say, wow, that's that's what's worth it for the 52 years that I've been coaching basketball. 52 years, Coach. And when I've seen you and observed you from a distance, that has been your message. Those guys that perhaps didn't go on to the NBA or didn't play college, you have always had like a, a, a special place in your heart for that individual. Why? Because that's me. Yeah. You know, I played ball at Canarsie High School, and we had some great teams there, and I was a part of those teams. Played with some great ball players, World B. Free, Jeff Houston, um, to name a whole bunch of them, Curtis Redding, mm-hmm. all those guys uh, at the school, and they were great players. I was good as well. Yeah. But I wanted, I started coaching in, in high school. I was 18 going on 19 in my senior year. And I picked up basketball and started coaching. And the main thing is, how do I use this here as a tool to change the lives of young people in the community? So that made, that shaped my whole life. So it's been that way for a life. And even when I was younger, man, I. Out of Bed-Stuy, I was in Bed-Stuy, yeah. I was raised in Bed-Stuy uh, early on in my career, and then of course I moved to Brownsville. But even in that instinct, I was always teaching someone. I was a martial art, uh, went to martial art school, and I would teach the young people that couldn't go to the school. Right. I would teach them how to put, do martial arts, um, handball, anything I was learning. Is always something that I was teaching somebody else. You picked that up early, Coach. You said you were in high school and, and started to coach. You know, usually at that time, people are still pursuing their own basketball career or still have aspirations of the league. Why do you think you made that pivot so early on in your career to focus on other people and teaching and coaching? Coach Reiner, Mark Reiner, who was the coach of Canarsie High School. That's who you played for? I played for, mm-hmm. yes. He indicated to me 
right? For he had he used to have these exit meetings with the players at the end of the mm -hmm. seasons and so forth. And every player he would talk to and he would give them what he thinks right. personally. And he saw the things I was doing because I still was involved with the communities even at that age. Right. And when I went to Kanasi, because it was busing and everything that was going on, mm -hmm. I was that guy that integrated the school systems. You know, I went into that school with the purpose of integrating it. What, Canarsie? Yeah, Canarsie. Mm -hmm. Canarsie High School. Coach, they bust you? To, to the Canarsie, and we went into Canarsie in that year, those years. And basically, because it was all predominantly white community and school. So being on the basketball team, I had great uh, credibility. Mm -hmm. You know, So I would go to the community meetings and speak on behalf of the blacks. In as the a area. youngster? As a youngster. This is a lot to ask of a young man, coach. We've heard horror stories about people having to integrate schools. What right. was that like for you? What year are we talking? This is like 69, 70. What was that like for you? Well, I had a choice. When I, I started bas playing basketball um, in eighth grade at junior high school, 57. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I got a chance to do that is because someone by the name of Barney Davis, he was a young white coach, teacher in, mm -hmm. in 57. And back there, we was rough, you know, <laughs> rough around the edge. And the one way that he was able to get me involved with not being so crazy out there is introduce me to basketball, mm -hmm. my eighth grade. So they had ninth graders in that school at that time. And so I used the whole summer, and I really got good at this game. Mm -hmm. And um, when I came back as a ninth grader, he said, wow, where did you get that jump shot? Where did you get that crossover? Where did you do all those things? And um, so he took me around teams. But most of his players on his team were white guys mm -hmm. away from the school. He put me, it was me and a guy named Fred Thompson. And Fred was a buddy of mine. And he just went along with the ride. Yeah. We were the only two blacks on the team. But that experience in itself showed me a lot, and because I didn't really know white people like that, right. only as teachers, right. as bill collectors, police <laughs> officers, and so forth. But to know them and be around them, it, it kind of gave me a different uh, feel that, hey, you know what? I was smarter, as smarter. Mm -hmm. I was as athletic. I, all the things that I, I, was, I was. And during that time, of course, you had... Um, just had the killings of some great black men, so it really kind of motivated me in that way. Were did you face any racism walking into Canarsie High School being busting? What you kidding, man? Let me tell you something. We, when we was in Canarsie, we literally did. You have what you call Rockaway Avenue and Rockaway Parkway. Yes, sir. So it used to be Rockaway Parkway all the way through. And until you get to Brownsville. But what happened is they cut it off because, again, this is how you segregate the teams out. Anything with the parkway was Canarsie. Okay. Anything with Avenue was Brownsville. Oh. So we had to go across that area to, in order for us to get into uh, Brownsville. There was a pizza store right on the corner. It's still there. 
Rockaway, right where the LL train. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. That piece of store has been there for ages. Many times, and God bless that the owner of that piece of store because he used to have keep us there for shelter because people chasing us out of the community. And um, he was an Italian guy, and he didn't play, and he's like, uh, y'all get out of here with that, you know, because we had the bats and all the other things that these people would chase you in their cars and everything like so that. So Coach Gustus, coming out of high school, the community would chase you, the blacks out? Oh yeah, yeah, and Canarsie, yes. And you would seek shelter in this pizza store at times? Oh yeah. Pizza store at time, and and we would knock some people out too sure. at times. <laughs> well, so when they would have the community uh, meetings, and um, when we went on um, with World Be Free and them, that team, they went on and we won the, the city championship. Now inside Canarsie was no problem because we had some great teachers there: Paul Abraham, Mark Wright. I I know them just like. Hey, Sly, Sly, all, all these guys were great, great teachers, you know. Um, that, and that still sticks with you? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were great. They were, when they were welcoming and so forth. Uh, but once we won the championship and we went 24-0, that's when the community started to look at us differently. And it gave me an opportunity to go and speak on behalf of the blacks in the community. So check this out. When I got there... I went, I played basketball, but I joined the tennis team. Didn't know how to play tennis at all, but I joined because there was no blacks on the team. I joined the handball team because there was no blacks on the team. I tried out and participated in um, Greece, <laughs> which play, was the school, play? The play, school play, which is all was all white. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I went for the top guy, John Fontaine, and everything, I went in there and said, I want to be that. So I went in there and tried, it was funny and everything because I could still sing and so forth. Um, Coach, why, why put up with the racism? Why in, in, in endure that? Why, did you ever go to your family and say, Yo, I'm, I'm, put me in a school in Brownsville? First of all, we, we didn't have a high school in Brownsville. Brownsville is one of the communities that's never had a high school until recently where we brought, we got Brooklyn uh, Collegiate and uh, Eagle Academy mm -hmm. and, uh, of course, um, Metro BDA. Okay. So those are the only high schools that we have. So most of our kids in Brownsville had to be go to Jefferson, go to South Shore, which was the new school, because mm -hmm. uh, they had just built that school. And, um, and that was another school where you go to South Shore, but that was... They was trying to build that because of what was happening over Canarsie. Canarsie yeah. So they need to try to move the white folks. How did that, that you know, you guys getting chased after school, how did that impact you as a student and basketball player? Well, it just made me stronger, man, because I went there for that reason, you know. I, when I, I went, I was supposed to go to Boys High mm -hmm. right there on Marcy. You know, and you're best guy. You go to 57. Everybody goes to Boys High because it's the greatest school that existed yes, sir. in New York high school. And um, I made a decision to go visit uh, Canarsie because um, my coach, Barney Davis, mm -hmm. said, you know what, you should go to Canarsie. You, know, you got a good coach there, 
and you'll get the chance to learn a little different. You know, Boy's Eye was all black. Canarsie yeah. was all white. So with the few players on the team. Uh -huh. um, so when I went there, I had intentions, and my intentions were um, to really go and um, disrupt stuff. To go and disrupt stuff, to have that spirit as a teenager. Coach Gustus, where did that come from? Like, what what influences impacted that determination in you? That that spirit of being somewhat of a freedom fighter? Let me tell you, my mother, God bless her soul, I lost my mother, she, I was nine years old. She was 32 mm. from alcohol abuse, and she died, and I actually discovered her on the floor trying to wake her up and she had rolled off the couch and I tell the story in my, in my books she rolled off the couch and she pretty much was on the floor and I was trying to wake her and I couldn't but at the same time she had her favorite song playing which was A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke Coupling those two things together, I knew that was my mother's favorite song. Mm -hmm. But I also felt that my mother, that I felt that I killed my mother. And the reason is because she used to come up to school when I was a kid, and because of my behavior, she used to say, boy, the teachers would say he's intelligent, he's smart, but he just out of control. Mm -hmm. And she used to say, boy, you're going to kill me. Why don't you get your stuff together? You hear the teacher saying this, boy, you're going to kill me. Those words ringed in my head that we lived in a railroad apartment. And it, what happened is when after I found my mother dead, I ran through the apartment and I was yelling, I killed mommy. I killed mommy. And from this day on, most of my speech, I tell parents, be careful about what you say to your kids. Yeah because they take it literally, yeah. boy, you're gonna kill me. And that stayed in my mind. But that song, A Change Is Gonna Come, and I didn't really understand the political thing at that age. Mm -hmm. Later on, I began to understand why that song was playing, because a change is gonna come. And um, from that point on, I be, it just hit me that I had to be the change that come. I had to be the one to make a difference in the lives of people in my own little way. Yeah. So I, my first book was Confessions of a Mad Black Coach. Mad means making a difference. Okay. So everyone, and the confessions was, you thought that I was doing this basketball to win basketball games, when my whole intention is to win lives. To win lives. And all the time. And just keep in mind, I lost my mother I lost my sister to heroin. I lost my brother to crack. I stood in front of a car running directly over my other sister. Mm. Me and her playing handball on Lexington Avenue, the car comes in. So I'm losing these people. So there's a sense of abandonment. Yes. Like, dag, you know, all of these things. And it's, and it's happening, coming from the ills of society. Mm -hmm. Drugs and all that kind of stuff, which I'm, I'm so passionate about. It not yeah. existing. So I was like, look, you know what? I'm the youngest in my family. 
And I promised that I would never be abandoned again. Never so I be created a family, uh, and that's my basketball family. Your basketball family. Yeah. Coach, this discovering your mother at nine years old mm-hmm. and believing you are the cause for her death, what yeah. was that like for a nine-year-old kid? Like, how, how much did that weigh on you, and, and did you carry that with you for how long? It ca- it, I carried it for quite some time, and um, I was... My father hadn't, they said he was around, but I didn't know him like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but he did come after my mother died, which was tremendous for me, but too late for my older sisters and my older brothers. Um, but they had said so much negative stuff about him. So that at the age of 14, 15 years old, I learned the art of forgiveness. And I don't know where it came. But well, who said that you can't learn something at a 14 to 15 years old? Yes, sir. And I learned the art of forgiveness, man. And I forgave my father. Uh, and then I found that I was able to forgive my mother, and even though she was dead. Mm-hmm. And forgiving myself. Yeah. So in that, I took that's, that's baggage. So what happened is, you always hear me talk about the power in one breath. And how that one breath can breathe life into people. So that that type of teaching and understanding of that there at a very early age, I started to pick up. Of course, I had some great people around me yeah. to make that happen. But I began to pick up those things. And each person that came in my life began to breathe life into me. Mm-hmm. So, And also, I recognized that my, my, my mother, who lost her gave her last breath, that breath still exists, but is in me. That's the change that's gonna come. Wow, wow, that's a that's a lot for a young person. Look, after your mom passed, what was your living situation like? You say your dad came around, is well, that my, what my dad came around and um, we, uh, Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> <laughs> Where every lady's hat was his home. Yeah. And we, we went with him and uh, but my, I, I noticed that my family was peeling off because of them. They had, some of them had some dislike about my father yeah. because they older. And so they kind of like, okay, you go ahead with him. So he took me and my other sisters, two other sisters, and of course the one that got killed, she was uh, 13 years old, I was 12. Um, but then he took us two. And then my other sister left, and then it was just me. Mm-hmm. So I hung wherever he went, I went. Mm-hmm. And I had different mommies that came into my lifestyle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's like, yo, this is one mother, this is mother. <laughs> they're all beautiful women yeah. and stuff like that. They took care of me. I'm thankful and grateful that they came in my life. Some of them were church-going people and mm-hmm. stuff that I had no idea about coming from the hood yeah. in Myrtle Avenue. So, um, but... You know, it was it was fantastic that um, that he came along and um, and I didn't carry that hatred uh-huh. for him uh, like everyone else did because uh-huh. that's baggage that they took with them, which could been the cause of their their drugs and all that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. you carry stuff, so I don't really carry stuff like that. You lost your mom when you were nine years old, and you just mentioned that uh, a few years later you would lose your sister. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy, man. And we had a hard, you could, you, here I am at my age, I still remember it just like, yeah. 
having an argument with her and my stepmother at that time, Mama Dot, she uh, had literally put us on punishment. And because we had an argument, because mm-hmm. she's the sister that's right next to me, Yeah. she, st- she told us we couldn't go outside. And uh, <laughs> I went out and bought, uh, went, she had sent me, my mother sent me to the store to get some food, and I, I had a little money. I bought some pumpkin seeds, and I shared it with my sister. Mm-hmm. So she saw we was you know, trying to get along. She said, said, all right, y'all could go outside. (laughs) And we went out, and um, that's if she would have kept us in, it's easy to say that maybe my sister wouldn't have been a part of that accident. Mm. And a car drove around the corner, hit five people. It was all in the newspaper. Missed me and my other sister, because we were playing handball. Missed us, and um, got her back backed up and rolled over. Coach Gustav, you had just lost your mother a few years prior. You 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 handling that grief, feeling you were responsible, and then this happens to your sister. Yeah. Coach, I, this is a devastating time. What's what was the most, I guess, challenging part of that whole period? Because I hear you talk about the breath and the life, and we know that your story is a success today. Yeah. But at that time, like, what was the darkest time? <laughs> the darkest time. So that's a tough question to ask me when you talk about the darkest time, because in the dark, that is the greatest time for me. Wow. You know, because everything that we do in the dark really comes to the light. So the bottom line is... That dark moment that everyone like to say that is bad. Yeah. Well, when we see God, we see God in the darkness. In the womb, the most protected place is in the dark area. So I'm not afraid of the dark. Yeah. I like I know that's where we go. In the ground where the where the, when you plant seeds, it's in the darkness of the yeah. earth. And it's there where the light, even the sun. It retreats to be rejuvenated in the dark. So it ain't dark ain't as bad as everybody think it is. Yes, uh, and I think, of course, there's some implications with that as well, being dark. Yeah. You know, especially back then, because you didn't get it as bad as we did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything that was dark was bad. Yeah. And of course, me, I was always like, wait a second. If y'all say it's bad, it got to be good. Mm-hmm. The dark cont- continent got to be good. I'm not going to continue to allow you to take something and make it what it really isn't. Right. Put a negative connotation. Put a negative connotation. So, so my dark areas was great areas because right. it was it was a place to retreat, to get generated like the sun does, and then I rise again. That's you did. You most mm-hmm. definitely did. There's a lot of conversations today about mental health and mental health awareness. I don't think that was a big conversation back then. Uh, were there resources for you? Was the school monitoring you? Like, man, this young man went through a whole lot in a short period of time. The school did not monitor anybody. But I had a great, great... So in my book, I talk about the uh, individuals that came and breathed life into me. So in my elementary school years, I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Cannon. She was amazing. She is what you call a master teacher. Mm-hmm. And she was the beginning of my turning that corner. Now, she didn't, she, 
suspect that I had issues, and me and her talked about that later on in life, but she was the teacher. She once was assistant principal, and I was creating havoc in the classroom, <laughs> so she decided, look, I'm coming in the class. Really? And she was the one that um, forced the school to allow me to do the speech on Dr. Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. In assembly, when in front of everybody, because at that time Martin Luther King was killed, and there it was a lot of the school didn't want you to do it. Oh no, not me, because I was like I was the one running around beating people right. up, rioting. But she was smart enough to say, "Yo, you're the leader. If I capture him, I got the whole class." Yeah, and she did. She took me to her house. Uh, which today they have a fit if a teacher does that. But yeah. back then, I saw a piano in the house, a daughter playing the piano. I saw a color TV. All of those things I didn't see where I came from because yeah. we didn't have no color TV. <laughs> Only color TV we had is we put those little um, stripes, uh, plastic thing yeah. on the television to make it color orange, yellow, yeah. green. So what, so what impact did that have when you seeing those 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 the piano and the color TV? That had this, an impact, like, man. Did that have an impact? That was like, yo, this lady's rich, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and secondly, that's what I want. Yeah. And so she gave me that that thing. I'm like, yo, I can get that, you know, yeah. I can get that. And so I paid attention to her because she paid attention to me. Yeah. Because you know, in education, especially in black communities. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Without question. So, you know, once I knew that she cared, that was a turning point. Mm. And then I went to junior high school, and here's a white teacher, mm. Barney Davis, that also now took me on his wing. And he went against the, the school as well because at lunchtime we used to have go out into the park. But he would bring me in at lunchtime to the basketball because he's a phys ed teacher. And he literally breathed life into me yeah. and introduced me to a whole new group of people. Whole new group. You know? Coach, uh, how did that I Have a Dream speech go? Like, what was the response from the school? Oh, man, I still talk about that, man. <laughs> Listen, man, I did, they had the gray hair and my stuff, which they don't have to do now because I got it on my own. <laughs> but I always remember that speech at the end when everyone stood up and clapped for me. Mm. And that was the beginning of a guy that was gonna step in front of audience and so forth. I was in his sixth grade. I went on to start singing. And so I was a singer before basketball. So people don't know this and I'm giving this right here to you. <laughs> WBH, but right? I, I was a singer and I sang with all the top groups. Uh, we had a group called the Soul Redemption. Uh, they later became the Crown Heights Affair. Okay. And I sang with the Moments and, and the Delphonics and all of them. We used to do... Some uh, doo-wop type stuff, Coach? Man, what? I'm not doing <laughs> some serious... But you know, it's so funny. Your school was the, the central location of all the competition. Cool in the game. Um, Which school? Wingate. Wingate. Oh, Wingate. Okay, okay. Wingate was the central place that you went. And remember, that was like a new school there, right? <laughs> Everything, we still do a lot of things there. All the competition was there. Yeah. So I sang from the time I was from the sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade. Then when I got that basketball, yeah. 
I just like yelled here because I was going to clubs and singing yeah. places that young men shouldn't be singing at 15, 14 years old. Yeah. Um, but when that basketball got in my hand, mm, Lord have mercy, it changed my whole life. Coach, it's it's uh, it's crazy for me to sit here across from the great Ted Gustus and hear stories about you saying you would be in a terrorist school because yeah. we know the uh, distinguished gentleman. So that's funny, but it's great to get that beginning on record so people yeah. can see, like, uh, magic can happen, you know what I'm saying? With the right tutelage, with the right mentors, you know, uh, great things can um, happen. Canarsie, you guys won a city championship, you said, as a player. Yeah. And it's time to move on to college. Well, before we move on to college, I, I so I was a sophomore when we won the city championship. Okay. So now when I became a senior, I had some sophomores that I had to mentor. Yes, sir. And that was Curtis Redding and Ty Ladson and that that group. They went on and became the first team to make it. They went 24-0 in their senior year, and they became um, the number one team in the country. First New York City team to become number one team in the country. From Canarsie High School? Canarsie High School, yes. What was that like, that like for you to see your young guys put that together? My young guys, I, they was borderline love, is the thin line between love and hate, yeah. especially because I was the captain. Mm -hmm. And I just, I ran them, to, I used to run them and get in them and everything, but I was like a big brother. Yeah. And even now, when you hear them talk, they talk about how I was so hard on them. And that was the job because my coach, Mark Ryan, said to me, he says, Coach, he says, Ted, you, um, you are either going to be a coach or community leader. Remember, I was telling you that story that he said, our exit meetings. Yes. He said, you're either going to be a coach, community leader, politician, <laughs> or one of those things, but you're going to serve the community. You're not going to be like World Be Free. World is a pro. Yeah. He knew that as well. So, and me and World is a really good friend. And world, yes, world was just pro. You could see everything with him. Uh, he said, but you, you're going to be changing lives in the community. And that's what my coach told me. So he said, let's start with these, no. these sophomores. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you, you mentioned that, coach, because I try to tell players this. Your legacy is not only what you accomplish, but what type of impact did you have on a subsequent years of players that come after you. That's big. Because, because hopefully they should be sitting in the stands, watching you get busy, seeing how you conduct practice, and that's part of your legacy also. I agree with you 100%. I, I always say greatness is not what you achieve, it's what you inspire others to achieve. Yes. So basically, that's legacy building when you inspire others to achieve. Yes, sir. So it's less about what I achieve is others, and then they will talk about you. Yeah in the level of greatness. So I that's a thousand percent and Canarsie, it was like that's how we operate. That that senior group is responsible. It was like a rites of passage yeah. that they had passed down to me. And now it was my turn. I couldn't wait till I became that person that now I'm this is my group and I took it personal with those 10th graders. Yeah. And so when they won the chip I was there 
just like anything else, to watch them bring it on and hug them and everything on, on that time because I knew that I, I uh, had in, um, inspired them. For sure. To do it. You helped lay the foundation. Right. You helped lay the foundation. After your high school career, you end up at John Jay, coach. How did that come about? Wow, because my mother. My mother, people don't understand. My mother used to, everyone used to say I was going to be a lawyer. Because my mother used to say, my baby, he going to be a lawyer. You know, and da, 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 da. And again, just as my mother said, boy, you going to kill me, mm -hmm. she also said, you're going to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I went to John Jay, despite me having Hofstra, St. Bonaventures, all these D1 schools, yeah. all the D1 schools, despite me having those, I went to a local school, John Jay. Because one, it had law. That's the criminal justice system. So I was like, yo, I, my mother wanted me to go to law school. So the guy, a gentleman by the name Al Pemberton, Alfred Pemberton, my coach, he was a recruiter. He was John Jay. And John Jay barely didn't even have a team like that. They had um, a club, mm -hmm. and they were going in to become a team. Was, it, was this D3 at the time? Yeah, D3, okay. John Jay Collins. And, um, but that intrigued me, you know, like, yo, they don't got no team. So I'm going to go there and help them become, you know, whatever they're going to come. I Co like that. Coach Gustus, you had division one opportunities right. and you opted to go to this D3 school that doesn't even have a team like that. A club. This, yeah. this is some level of maturity. Like, please help me. All right. So here's, here's the deal though. You got to understand. Now I was coaching. So here, that was the challenge. So... I already had these kids. I was coaching them, Rolando Blackman. Remember, Rolando, Rolando Blackman's like 20, 64. He's still one of my youngest, not youngest, he's he's next to the oldest, you know, 64. Rolando Blackman were going to play in the NBA for the Knicks and the Mavericks. Yes. You, you, you were like an a AAU coach? I, no, I was a community coach. Oh, we right, call right. it AAU. I'm sure Coach Haskins <laughs> Yes, We call community coaches. So you had Rolando Blackman as one of your Since kids. 11 years old. Okay, go ahead, proceed. So, so I had these kids, and I, I had a rule that I never cut a kid, never cut them from the team. So that means that sometimes I had 30, 40 kids, <laughs> and it was just me. So it was a lot of work. But I couldn't see myself going away to play basketball when I got 30, 40 kids looking at me and saying, yo, we're depending on you. These kids are 12, 13, 14 years old, 11, you know. So when John Jay came along, and I was weighing everything. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, my coach telling me I'm going to be this community mm -hmm. person and so forth. That's why, as a coach, I understand my words have power. Yes, sir. So what I say to these young people, it sticks. This is what I tell coaches all the time. Remember, what you say, you may not think it's not going, but it is. Mm -hmm. so, so when John Jay came along, I said, you know what? I could fulfill my mother's dream. I could keep these guys. One of the stipulations that they allowed me to do, and I made this negotiation, if I come to your school, you allow my players, my kids, to come to the games for free and also give me time on the court 
to practice with my kids. Oh my gosh. Coach, this is amazing. This is some right. level of maturity that you are exercising as a as a young man. A level of foresight. You know, I'm a, I'm a bypass the, the D1. I got an opportunity here in the city. And it's also highlights your sense of duty and responsibility to these youngsters. Yeah. One that would turn out to be an eventual nba year. Right. Well, two with John and him, that's for sure. John Ch Sally and... Um, oh, John Sally. Right, those are my two guys. John came after Roe, but it's still in, right in there, you know? This is crazy. But let me tell you, the... There was things that was going on in me, because mm -hmm. you keep kind of graveling with that a little bit and well coach how did you do when yeah. you, that um idea of abandonment is right. is part of that drove me that mm. how me feeling abandoned and that I would never abandon anyone else so me leaving those guys was a sense of abandonment and these were the young people I used to tell them when they were 13 years old that you guys are gonna grow up to be some of my best friends, mm -hmm. you know? And I would say to them, you, you enter people's life for a reason, yeah. a season or a lifetime. Y'all lifetimers, you know? So I don't try to put lifetime into reasons right. or season. That's why it doesn't work. These mm -hmm. guys are lifetime. And today, 55, 60, we still tight like yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Because they were young and so was I. But when you're 19 and you got a 12 and 13 year old, you got seven, eight years. So I have a lot of stuff. And then I had already been through so much mm -hmm. that I could share with them some of the things. So What was it like when you seen these guys really? Uh, John Sally were going to win championships with Michael Jordan, with Isaiah Thomas at the Detroit Pistons, Rolando Blackman would, I think, make it to the All-Star New York. Four-time uh, NBA All-Star, yeah. What's it like to see these guys reach those heights? Like for you, what was that like? Um, first of all, I always tell people those were the two least expected. Wow. Least expected. Okay, we had better players than Rolando. A guy named Rigo Hill uh, was one of my top players. If anybody thought someone would make it to the NBA, it would be him. Mm -hmm. But those two were the most disciplined. Mm -hmm. And they were coachable, they were students, and they they stayed on top of whatever I would teach them. Um, they were loyal, because at that time, um, the, people was trying to get players, you know, still players here, because you had Gauchos in Riverside and so forth. And here I'm in East Flatbush, Brownsville, and Canarsie, that was where my group came from. Do you have a name for your organization? Yeah, the Dittman's All-Stars. Okay. Yeah, Dittman's All-Stars. And it, out of Dittman's Park, uh, Dittman's All-Stars, um, and one of my t players um, created an acronym for Dittman's All-Stars. Doing it together, doing it together, re doing it together makes All-Stars always longing to learn, stimulates, um, unity and something like that. Uh, but it's, 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 it's in my mind. Yeah. He's created this. His name is George May. But, yeah, so I, so the answer to your question, those guys, they made it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you didn't see anything with them, you see John Sally on Vlad, you see Rolando. I was on national television when he was at the NBA All-Star one of the, and he hit the last two shots in the in the All-Star game with CBS, and that was the most watched game in NBA history because Dr. J was retiring. Uh, you had everybody mm -hmm. in there, Jordan and all those guys. And Roe hit the last second. He scored 30 points in that in that wow. All-Star game. Um, and I was on there at halftime talking because they asked him who was the most influential person in his life. And he mentioned me. John Sally was on Vlad just <laughs> recently, and they asked him, well, who were the greatest coaches that you ever played for? And uh, so, of course, they named Pat Riley, Bobby Crims, um, Chuck Daly, Chuck Daly, and um, Phil Phil Jackson. Yeah. And John said, they were actually none of them. But basically, <laughs> when by the time by the time I got to you, I was already knew. I already understood. Even in one breath, he broke it down. He said, my coach used to tell us about one breath, even when we were younger, yeah. that we all had to breathe for each other, you know? So I had those philosophies and yeah. so forth at a young age, you know? Yeah. I, when I went to John Jay, though, I took one year of criminal justice and law, and I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. Oh, yeah, why not? Because when I went, when I found out that even if someone was committed a crime and you representing them, your job is to get them out of that regardless. Yeah. That's your profession. Yeah. And I used to go into, when they used to have the, you know, the cases and so forth, the mock cases, and I'm like, I can't do this mm -hmm. because I know this guy is guilty. But you asked me to defend him in the court of law, yeah. and that's just not my thing. So I went into behavior sciences, psychology, and all. I yeah. really fell in love with that, which became a very important part for me because it became therapeutic. Because as I learned in the behavior sciences yeah. what was going on, it became saying something that I was able to use for myself, but also for my players. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, what would you like us to know about your John Jay career? You know, it started off as a club. Like, how did it end? Yeah, listen, man. My John Jay career was great, man. I I, I had a ball, man. I, moved, I I went into school, man. I made the dean's lift. I was um, selected as the ECAC uh, um, Athletic Student Athlete uh, of the Year Award wow. uh, because of my GPA and my basketball skill. My first year... Uh, we took and put that school on the map right away. We was the only undefeated team in New York, including St. John's, Hofstra, all of them. Mm. was the number one. And they, they put it in the paper and everything. Uh, my players, my young kids, they used to come to the game. And uh, I had a wicked, wicked crossover drill. <laughs> Right. No, no. I'm Tell them, Coach. If you had it, you had it. Well, anybody that's watching this, they gonna know. It, old school, when they see this, they'll know. Yeah. Because it's just like, <laughs> and I had it. Not, I had it. Then, and high school, all the way to college, there yeah. is a wicked crossover dribble. I mean, wicked. <laughs> Spinning people around, no pushing. All I had to do is whack, whack. And they, <laughs> they were gone, you know. So. The kids 
would come to the game and they would start humming like this, hum, and the whole gym would go hum, just so that I could cross over the dribble. So they, they nicknamed me Hummer. Okay. And they, but they would hum, you could hear, and it get louder and louder. And I started hopping and hopping, and I hit them. <laughs> they falling all over the place and stuff. And um, that crossover, I was able to take that into my, well into my 50s, 50-year-old mm. as a baller. Yeah, you've been active for a while. Yeah, so um, i never forget it. I was um, playing a game at ISA, and this was the most funniest time because I was at an ISA. We playing in a game. Uh, this is like 40 and over. I'm like 50 at that time. And I'm killing them through the game. So one guy comes late, and he comes late, and you know, my boy is on the mic. Um, I forget his name. Right, yeah. We can't. He going. I'm gonna have a. <laughs> to bring your name. Don't bring your name. Bring your game. Yeah. You know. And um, he didn't. The guy didn't understand how I was having a great game. So he comes on the court, and they say, "Well, who's he guarding?" He looks around. You know, I got my little light gray and stuff. He said, you know what, I, I'll take this guy. Yeah. So my man said, oh, no, I don't think you want to take him right now, you know. Yeah, he he, he, he kind of killing you. And um, I hit him with a crossover, and he fell to the floor. <laughs> now, this is great. The crowd went crazy. But my wife is sitting in the stand of 43 years, my wife Karen, and she goes to all the games, so she knows. So she says... Ted, go see him, pick him up, and see if he's okay. <laughs> and uh, Jim went crazy, man. It was so yeah. Crossover was my my thing. I I always love it. Now I begin to teach other people how to crossover. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah. So it was. It became even Pearl Washington. You know, I was there help him out with his crossover. That's so cool. forth. Yeah. Would you Would you cross paths with Pearl? Well, Pearl played for the, he was just, um, one of the t players for the Brownsville Jets. Okay. So okay. didn't miss All-Stars and the Brownsville Jets were really rivalries, yeah. but became kindred cousins because of me and Jocko. Okay. Jocko and I, we played on the same, uh, the uh, Jets um, pro team. And so we had Jocko, Fly, myself, and all those guys, Ron Jonesy. Coach, I sought you out recently, um, working on an event called the My City Alumni Classic. Uh, this is gonna be our second year, it's coming up May 6th. Uh, we did it last year. It features alumni teams from the local colleges, essentially the CUNYAC teams. Yes. Um, bringing guys back, give them a re we promote healthy living, give them an opportunity to play on a nice stage in front of their families. Um, and I brought it to you. What do you think about the idea? First of all, I want to commend you because uh, you played ball in... Your college, in Ronald St. John and Kingsborough Community College. With my guy, Ron. Ron was a <laughs> hell of a ball player, too, man, but he was a great coach as well. Um, when I heard of the idea, I heard about it last year, mm -hmm. but I was out of town and I wasn't, you know, we couldn't connect. But this year, you must have been relentless defensive player on court because you definitely kind of made sure you pinned me down. Yes, sir. And when I got a chance to feel and hear your heart about what you wanted to do, I said, I, I got to help this brother here mm -hmm. get around 
um, I think is great. I think uh, we underestimate what CUNY Ball has done for uh, young people that want to continue to go on and play college basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a great league for that. So for you to be able to uh, highlight alumni and so forth coming up in, at this event, I said, wow, this is great. So what, what do I need to do? <laughs> so, let me tell you how much of a motivation you were for this on, on many fronts. As you know, any entrepreneurial endeavor, it can be scary. There's, there's the unknown out there. Yes. So I'm looking at my peers, and I think we've done a great job. I think we are the backbone in the city worthy of being celebrated. You know, we're teachers now, we're cops, we're firefighters. But then I started to look out into the city, and I wondered who else came from these same colleges. Right. Mm -hmm. And I assume somebody like Ted Gustis that has won championships at multiple schools, done great mm -hmm. things. There's no way he played what we played. But when I found out you played at John Jay, the great Ted Gustis is one of us, that solidifies our alumni base right there. Mm. The great Ted Gustis. And furthermore, you are somebody that's been playing ball at a high level well beyond your college years. Like some of us like to do. Right. And what we need is a stage. So I said, yo, Ted Gustis is one of us. That gave me the motivation. Without even speaking to you, just, just going through the resumes and stuff, Ted Gustis is one of us, or are we going to push forward? Mm. That's nice. So, and again, it's about also the community aspect, telling our stories, what, uh, highlighting our contribution. You know what I'm saying? And coach, you chief among us, man. I, I I came to you. I said, coach, this is what we got. You tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. You know why? Because first of all, <clears throat> I already realized that uh, we have a tendency of taking what we know and have to the grave with us. Yes, sir. We bury it because we don't. And, and I, that's one of the things that I would not want to do. You know, I wanted to be able to he has been able to support things that our younger people are doing. Mm -hmm. It's so important for me. You know, I, I always tell a story about uh, people want to take an 800 credit score to the grade. <laughs> you, you're taking that 800 credit score when you could be using it. In old school back in the day, my father, he had a credit score like 80, 800 and something, but he wouldn't use it. <laughs> and I used to say, Dad, I could, I could, I, I'm going to open up a business. I got, we could buy homes with this yeah. here. I, I was smart enough to do it, but he wouldn't use it. Mm -hmm. You ain't gonna mess up my credit, <laughs> you know? And um, so he took it to the grave with him. Yeah. That's an asset. So I never want to take what I know to the grave. I never want to take my resources, which is my relationships, yeah. to the grave with me when I have opportunity to so CUNY has been good to me in many different ways because of um, me playing. I played three and a half years at, at John Jay. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't even complete my second last year. I played under Dr. Robert Fox, okay. who was an amazing thing. And then, and then I went there and did uh, independent studies because I had all these kids. Right. So he said, why don't you do an independent study? You know, basically you can get your credits just on that alone. Yeah. And I did, and uh, he helped me out. He was the professor that was supposed to help me out. But he also helped me out because he was, uh, his background is in psychiatry. Right. So he always talked to me and gave me, you know, the support that I needed. And um, 
He later became the athletic director for John Jay. Okay. And then uh, when I uh, resigned from um, coaching at Nazareth High School, because my daughter was going on to LaGuardia, from Brooklyn to LaGuardia, so it was a newspaper article that was laid out. I said, listen, my daughter's going to go to LaGuardia. She made it out of a thousand and something kids mm -hmm. to make to go to LaGuardia. And uh, so I decided my parent, my wife and my family didn't want her to travel on the train. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to give up this NAS job, and I'm taking my daughter on the train each and every day, if it means so, so she can go to this college. The one I mean, in high school. Oh, oh, LaGuardia. Oh, in the LaGuardia, city. Yeah. In the city. Okay. The one in the city. Yeah, that's LaGuardia High School. Yeah. So, and um, you resigned from your coaching position at Nazareth High School. Yes. So you can take your daughter to school. And that's that was the headlines in the newspaper, and we had just won and everything, man. You know, it's like Coach, I had Nazareth. Popping. I had yeah. one of your former players up here, the great Rob Phelps. That's right. He was torching the city. We got D1 offers, all type of stuff. Yeah. Coach, you had the city rocking, and you resigned. Yeah. What was the reaction from the people? Oh, boy, it was crazy, man. they like, what? There was mixed emotion because it's like, okay, um, you got this going, but you got your daughter. Mm -hmm. My daughter went and tried out to be Kalila. She's married now, Khalil Webster. She went to try out for drama, right. acting. And without, and I took her down there, and I pushed her to do this, even though the family was saying, well, we're not going to let her go from Brooklyn all the way to the city. She went there and made it. Out of all the people, we never sent her to school or nothing. She just was drama. Right. <laughs> and when she made it, i like, okay, she going. And the family was like, nah, well, she not going on the train bus. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to allow her to miss this opportunity. And I had to resign. I said, I would take her to, I would take her to school. Every morning. Every morning. And then guess what? It took us four times I took her to school. The rest of the time, she went on her own. And she said, Daddy, I can handle this. I can handle this. And she said, I said, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Now, this is without the mother and yeah. everybody else fine. <laughs> you know, this is me and you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And she, little did she know, she went on her own, but I still was clocking her, yeah. you know. So John Jay's job opened up, and the athletic director, who's my former coach, said, hey, you, I would like for you to come back and be the first player that played for John Jay that came back to coach. Mm -hmm. And being that John Jay is on 59th Street, LaGuardia is on 63rd Street, mm -hmm. and Tim, one, two. Yes, sir. Right in the middle of that is Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. So I wound up getting a job at John Jay, stayed there for five years so my daughter could graduate and so forth, because now we... Close, right one there. stop away. I got a chance to see all her plays, we got the Lincoln Center, where she did a whole bunch of stuff there. And um, it's not one stop. It's just a walk up the block. Right, right, you right. know. So that was a blessing. See, because when, when do one door closes, you think it's closing, mm -hmm. but the other door opens up. And because I was willing to give up something here, yeah. I was able to receive this here. 
That's called capacity, increasing your capacity to receive. So I increased my capacity to receive that job because I gave it up for a very righteous moment, which is my daughter. Now, Coach, some people say Nazareth is... It's big time, high school basketball. Yeah. Uh, Rob Phelps was up here, and he talked about college coaches coming to recruit, and Jimmy Bayheim, yeah. uh, all of these big names, uh, Fran Fraschilla, yeah. these guys in the stands, and then you go into a Division three CUNY school? Yeah. Some would view that as a step down. Well, you know what? Let me tell you this. First of all, it was a college job. Mm -hmm. Okay, number two, it was my school that I went to. Mm -hmm. Also, you have my former coach who helped me through college. So it was a lot of things. And then my daughter is there. And just keep in mind, my whole thing is basketball is not as serious to me as it is to other people. You know what I'm saying? Because it's only to change, it's a tool to change lives. Mm -hmm. But now I'm confronted with my daughter. I done changed and helped all these kids, and now I got my daughter, and I'm going to deny her the right to go and do certain things that she deserves to get. Nah, I wasn't going to have that. It's interesting to hear one of the most revered and successful basketball coaches in uh, the city say, hey, basketball may not been everything. It wasn't everything. Again, for me, that's my confession mm. of a mad. Why was I mad? making a difference. Mm -hmm. My goal was to make a difference. Never ever was it about, and Phelps, if he came on here, he'll tell you, I didn't play. You, you're, gonna, you're, you're gonna grow like you're supposed to grow, and I'm gonna be there because winning games was not the most important thing to me. Winning lives was. And what happened, because I took that position, we won games, mm -hmm. you know, because I think when you win, make good people, they become champions. Without question. You know? Yeah. So I John Jay that took that job on, and that was a great experience for me because I got a chance to coach college ball. And you'd be surprised how many guys came back. I had guys like Mickey Ward, who was away in school in Arizona, came on back. Mm -hmm. I had another kid like Sean Eastwood, mm -hmm. who was a, went on to play professional basketball after John Jay. So these are top guys that played for me, Glenn Rayford, who played for me at Canars and Nazareth, came over there. Mm. Uh, Andre uh, Ambrose, who now is like 20 years with Nike. Dre Ambrose? Yeah. He played at John Jay? Yeah, he played for me in Nash first. And then when I went to John Jay, he like, oh, I gotta go with coach. So he hung out, he was there with me. Oh, y'all, Andre Ambrose need to pull up to the My, My City Alumni Classic May 6th. I, see, I had no idea. Yeah, so that's why I'm naming them guys, because when they see this, they better have their butt right there at your spot, man, coming to hang out, you know? Coach, I, you said you were about changing lives, and, and ultimately that led to wins. I don't think people understand that that's a, that's a, 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 a like a, a slight distinction, but it's a big difference. Your goal was to change lives. Change lives. It's not basketball. It's like it's change lives, and ultimately we will be successful on the court. Right. See, my thing is, you gotta hook them before you cook them. <laughs> so I hooked them with the basketball, but yeah. then I cooked them 
with the wisdom and everything that came from me. Mm -hmm. Kids, young people used to sit down and listen to the stories. Because remember, now you see, I had stories to tell them. They're like, wow, you went through this here stuff. And I always say you have to go through stuff in order for you to grow through it. So I, we went through some stuff. And, um, but saving the lives, and because I took that position, that's why I have relationships with my players now. They've grown and everything. I go all over the country. I can't tell you how many times I've flown all over and never had to spend a dime mm -hmm. because of my guys, wherever they're at, or even go to hotels and yeah. all that stuff. Yo, Coach, come on, stay here. We got a spot for you, yeah. whatever, you know? Coach, let's get a little bit of this, this coaching timeline. What is your very first head coaching job in the city? Dittman's All-Star. Right, of course. <laughs> Wait, um, let, let, let me tell you, Dittman's All-Stars... That that was that was big for me because you know I played for Lester uh, Roberts, uh, Brooklyn, USA. Okay. He taught me how to straight up love the community because mm -hmm. that's what he did, and that's why he created the Brooklyn, USA. I mimicked what he was doing, and I created the Dittman's All Stars okay. that covered Brownsville. East New York, East Flatbush, and Canarsie. Most of my players, kids came from that area. Okay. And then I ran one of the biggest leagues uh, in the summertime called the Dittman's All-Star Basketball League. Mm -hmm. So that was first. Yeah. Then they brought me back to Canarsie, and I became assistant coach at Canarsie uh, for a couple of years. This was way back. Mm -hmm. And then I went on and uh, started a basketball team in uh, junior high school, uh, 275. That's where Rob Phelps went at uh, before he went to NAS. Uh, I, I, 275 is on Linden. Yeah, Linden, Linden and Rockaway. Yeah, yeah, I was in that school for about 30 years. Um, but I created a basketball league, which we had a team. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, the job opened up at NAS. Uh, no, well, before NAS, I went to Brooklyn College. And I became the, that was in 1981, I became the assistant because my head coach, Mark Reiner, had came back from Kansas State where he was assistant, mm -hmm. and he became the head coach of Brooklyn College. Mm -hmm. So I took, became assistant there, recruited a number of players, you know, Danny Brown and, and all of those guys, Earl James and all of them, they came to it. And that was the time, within two years, we won the second year that I was there. We was the first team and still the only team that went to the NCAA Final Four. The only Brooklyn College or CUNYAC team? Only CUNYAC team. So you took a New York City CUNY school to the Final Four. That's right. Coach Gustus. And Brooklyn College honored that team recently. We just got inducted. That's why you see me with my little Brooklyn College stuff on. Uh, we got inducted into the Hall of Fame for Brooklyn College, um, and um, it was a great, great thing. We had, um, they they did a great job, uh, Brooklyn College. We brought back all the players, Richie McCullough, Richie, um, and uh, we had um, Rick Davis, the human rejector, and, mm -hmm. and all of them, Ronnie Phillips, all, all the guys came back, and uh, it was really a great day. Danny Burns, who was one of our former one of our players, he really was the one that pushed and organized the entire thing for people to come back. 
Coach Rick McAuliffe played on that squad. Rick McAuliffe was one of the greatest shooters that you can imagine. He would he would he would come back and actually coach the team a few years he, ago, and he wound up coming back. Yeah, and, coach, and his his number is retired. It is out of that team. He was number because he was he's a great shooter. He, Rich McCullough, he can shoot the basketball. Yeah, and and. Um, he was a killer shooter from, and he went to Severian, and um, but that team was a CUNY team was an amazing team. That team with with Earl Robinson and Rob Ron Phillips and all those guys defensively they killed on the other. Keith Williams, great point guard. Yeah. That man, the team as a whole must have shot like eighty percent from the free throw line. That's crazy. They didn't miss. So that team went on. After I got the Brooklyn College job, I did some stuff work with St. John's mm-hmm. University under Lou Conaseca. Uh I was an intern, and that was the time I was bringing back when Chris Mullins and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, even before Chris Mullins, I had um, Reggie Carter and all those guys. Um, and then uh, the job opened up for Nazareth. Okay. So they didn't have a black coach coaching in the Catholic school, the CHSA, Brooklyn Queens Catholic School mm-hmm. League. So I became the first. Uh, and I never forget people say, oh, you're not going to get that job. I ain't hiring no black people, you know, like yeah. that. And um, they hired me. And, uh, and after my first year, we won five games. My second year, we won the city and the state championship. My third year, we won the city, state, and federation championship. Wow. And then from that on, Naz was like on the, the top. community community team. I never recruited, never recruited, nor did I have any AAU teams coming in. I brought Robert Phelps, Eric Fernandez, and um, Lorenzo Bynum from 275, and I brought them to the team. And then everybody else that came, came through recommendation and um, just a desire to want to play for me. Yes. And when did, when did uh, Lachlan come along? So after I left John Jay, I did five years at John Jay, you know, because I was there for a purpose. Yeah. You know, my daughter was at there. And I, um, the job opened up with Bishop Lachlan. Now, by the way, I was getting all kinds of calls from the Nazareth people. How do you coach Bishop Lachlan? That's rivalry time, man, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, Bishop Lachlan uh, was like the Catholic school for Brooklyn. Yeah. And for the city. Um, so that's like boys high. So okay. if you can't get boys high on a cap public school, you go for Bishop Lachlan. Yeah. And... Um, so I took on Bishop Lachlan, and that was fantastic because we got a chance to, um, uh, I put him for that job. And fortunately, I had um, the coach, uh, Coach Leckie, mm-hmm. who had resigned and went on to St. Peter's. And he was a great advocate for me getting that job mm-hmm. because he competed against me. He knew that my teams were not only competitive, but respectful. Uh, sportsmanship and so forth, and a lot of people applied for that job. Sure. And when I got there, the great uh, Kenny Pretlow yeah. 
was there. He was the JV coach. Kenny P, big time guest on the show. Kenny P is my dude, man. Kenny Kenny is, uh, man, one of the smartest uh, coaches that I've got a chance to work with. Um, He... If he re- if he goes out and scout a team like I used to have him go out to scout the team and he would come back, I'll say, okay, Kenny, you got the practice. I tell the guys, everything he says is going to happen. Yeah. So y'all listen to everything he says, and he really, uh, I learned a lot from him in terms of him doing what he does, but he also learned because I was a veteran. Oh yeah, and he so forth. He definitely uh, mentioned. Uh, your leadership and learning from you. Who are some of the guys that we may be familiar with that you coached at Lachlan? Well, number one guy is Curtis Sumner. Yes. And his his father is Curtis Sumner. I don't know if you know anything about his father, mm-hmm. but you, if you go check out Ballside Middle, mm-hmm. they talk about a guy like Curtis Sumner. Curtis Sumner's father was off the chain. You know, He's one of the guys, uh, more of a street player type stuff back in the days. But Curtis himself was excellent, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, handled the ball. So I came in, he was a sophomore. And I began to shape and mold him. I'm like, look, I know they got you playing like a big man, but you got to handle the ball. You got to mm-hmm. shoot jumpers. You got to – and so we kind of transformed his game. Uh, then he, you had Teddy Mumphrey. You had uh, Kojo Minshaw. Mm-hmm. He played for me, great oh man. He was one of the, probably the most athletic player that I had at um, at Lachlan. So I stayed at Lachlan for about five years. Curtis would end up going on to Villanova, and I think he's doing work with USA Basketball right now. Yes, he is. Yeah, yes. Kojo would go on to play if to Duquesne or Siena, but he is also a community leader now. Right, Coach. You can see your impact. You know, these guys are going on outside of basketball. Thirty-two is the number 32 of players that I coached over my years are coaching and doing community things throughout this mm-hmm. here country. Mm-hmm. I keep those numbers. That's those <laughs> those those are important greatness is not what you do but you what you inspire others to do. Yeah. So those same exit meetings that I had with Mark Reiner, yeah. I had with those 32 as well cuz you got Andrew Wright who was coaching over at uh, Uncommon. Uh, he has the right team. You know, you got Andre Ambrose. You got, you got, it's so many. Raleigh May, I can name them all over the place, you know. Mm-hmm. Reggie Bernard, all of those guys, you know. So they're coaching. Coach, you mentioned uh, you, you kind of learned the game in eighth grade. Um, you have this culture of love plus discipline. Who impacted that? coaching uh, mentality. Like, who are some of the guys that you watch? You, you mentioned Kenny P. They all looked up to the OG Ted Gustas. Rob Phelps is out here. What would you say, who, who, who shaped, really, your coaching philosophy? It was a combination, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, Dr. Fox, Robert Fox, I call him doctor. He's a coach, but yeah. he's a doctor. But he was a basketball, oh, my God, genius. Whatever you see in Rolando Blackman, yeah. how he moved without the ball and cut and screen and shoot and all that, that was, I learned that from Dr. Fox mm-hmm. in terms of basketball, the technical side of mm-hmm. it, and, I, and getting moving without the ball and all that kind of stuff. Because I was in the movement, I had the ball in my hand. I, yeah. I just crush you and go. Yeah. 
but he kind of introduced that portion. Um, love for community came from Lester Robbins. Lester Robbins was, he just, he just loved people. Mm -hmm. You, um, the level of respect that we gave him and his love to, to do things for community. Um, the smoothness of coaching that when I, that comes from Bonnie Davis. Well, Bonnie Davis never yelled at people. He just gave you looks, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Mark Reiner, he was a beast. He was that guy. He was a former player, too. He played for NYU. He went to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So he, he played at Lincoln High School. Okay. He could ball. Yeah. So, so it was a combination of that village to raise a Ted Gustus. Mm -hmm. It took those type of people. And um, lastly, um, a gentleman that was truly a gentleman is uh, Phil Hayes. Mr. Hayes, he came into my life. And uh, one morning at 6 a.m., I was practicing in Dittman's Park. And um, this guy used to come and he used to park his car right on the side of the road mm -hmm. in his bins, beautiful bins. You know, sometimes he came with a, a big bins and sometimes he came with a shorty, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you know? And, um, but he used to watch me and he used to watch how I would discipline with these kids. But he knew, so he said to his wife at that time, Cirilla, I saw a young man, he must be no more than 19, 20, mm -hmm. 21 years old. He's out there, he got all these kids, 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. All of them out there doing jumping jack. He says, I gotta do something to help this guy. And he entered my life at that time. And he taught me the power of giving, yeah. you know, and he, he's a, he's actually a doctor. Okay. That's why he's got those bands. The bands, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so he did those things for me and it changed my life. Yeah. So when you, that love, cause I coach from love, you know, and that was something that I always wanted, desired to have, and you now I found out is that in order for you to receive something, you got to give it. Mm -hmm. And um, so... I hear uh, you talk about that that discipline, you know, and I've been reading up on a lot of coaches and studying. Coach K at Duke, he's an Army guy. Okay. John Wooden was a veteran. You know, I believe in that discipline. I, I too, am a veteran. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I, I served in the United States Army, and that's where I got that culture from. So that, that discipline specifically, I'm like, yo, Coach, we... Where'd you get that from? To, to understand, and people don't understand, discipline comes from love. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and respect. Yes. So, I have a saying. Inspect what you expect mm. before you give respect or call them a suspect. <laughs> then you make them a prospect. See, so I use that terminology. Yeah. I'm always inspecting what I expect. And... And then that would determine whether you'd be a suspect or I give you respect. Yeah. You got to earn that. But my three C's is I care. Consistency is part of discipline and commitment. Mm. So those three C's are very important to me because what it does, one, it answers the question. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Consistency is discipline. That means that if you're going to be out there at 6 a.m., I want to be out there 
you need to be there. Consistency is I'm not going to tell you something to do and I'm not doing it myself. That's consistency. That's discipline. Eric Fernandez, who went on to become a great basketball player in South Carolina uh, State, he said something in my book. He wrote a little piece. He says, we never wanted to disappoint Coach. He said, we were never afraid of him. Mm -hmm. We were never scared of him. But we never wanted to disappoint him. Mm -hmm. That is the greatest compliment that he can give to me because I never want my players to be fearful of me. For sure. I wanted them to respect me. Respect means to look again. So when you're about to do something that's out of a disrespectful way, look again. Look again. So that was always my thing. But my my guys were run through wall. You, you, I don't know if you know Rock Eisenberg. No, sir. Rock Eisenberg used to coach Tilton High School. Oh, Rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know yeah, Rock. Rock. Yeah. Rock is the funniest guy. Rock was a cursor. Yes. Right? <laughs> but when he got around me, we used to do the wheelchair classic games and stuff like that. He asked me one time, he said, Coach, your guys will go through a wall for you. How do you get them to do that? And you don't utter curse words at them. You don't curse them out. He said, forget about me. I already know what I do. <laughs> so every once in a while, he was tease me, and he would curse. And I see talking to the kids, like we have a mm -hmm. little thing, and he was stopping, turning around, and said, oh, excuse me, I forgot. We got Jesus here. <laughs> <laughs> but he's funny anyway. But I didn't, words have power. Yes, sir. Remember, I'm, I was raised up on, boy, you're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So it made me become very conscious of the words that I speak. And words is that one breath that I breathe life into you. So that the power of the tongue, I could even kill you with it or I could life. build you with it. Mm -hmm. And I chose to build. Coach Gustus, you would eventually make your way to being an executive with the PSAL. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what were you, the Brooklyn Borough? I was the Brooklyn Borough... Uh, Commissioner slash borough supervisor. Yes. For sport of basketball. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you you did while in that position? Well, one of the things that I I, I attempted to do, and I was in there for ten years, mm -hmm. uh, I had great realm communication with my coaches because the respect that they knew. I wanted to be able to take the coaches into the PSL that they'd never seen before. Because a lot of times on the executive side of the PSL, us as coaches, we looking at it strictly from the coach's yeah, side, but yeah. we don't understand what's going on that side. Yeah. And one of the things I promised those coaches is that, look, y'all got me on this side. So you, when I come at you, I'm coming at you with the truth. I'm not going to be sugarcoating it or nothing like that there. You need to know what I see on this side. I could bring it to you here. I'm your eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. I was always pro-coaches, even with the PSA. I'm like, look, you know what these coaches give up? These coaches give up an awful lot. They give up monies. They're not going to let a kid go home not having to eat. Mm -hmm. They deal with community problems. They got a lot of stuff. They go into a school they don't have uniform for the kids sometimes. They're dealing with a lot. Yes, sir. So 
understand that's my position. So when I took that job, I told them I'm pro-coach because they are usually pro-young people. Yeah. So taking them in there, that was one of the things I bridged the cap. They had access to me 24-7. They could call me up when they was disappointed about things. Even when I did the seating, I would explain to them how they got one time, I never forget, I did a seating and one team got 17. And they couldn't understand, oh, coach, how did I get a 17? I said, well, look at your bracket. I had a choice because Brooklyn is Brooklyn. Yes, no matter what, you got to have to go through Brooklyn yes, to get anything. So every team is tough. So sometimes you have to put someone in the 17 bracket so that they won't bump heads with all our Brooklyn team because that's why they try to do is kind of pile them up together and then right. we knocking each other off. Right. Nah, you down here by yourself. Go beat them up and come on up. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's, it's really to understand the nuances of being on a PSA outside. Mm -hmm. And that small office does a great job in handling the, uh, the PSAO, because the bottom line at the end thing, what I've learned is that to make sure that people don't get hurt, mm -hmm. games are ran properly, mm -hmm. and that, uh, you know, that a league is ran, you know, to a point. So, and I also learned that there's a lot of things I wasn't able to do. Right. Like here, sitting down talking to you. Right. <laughs> that, killed, that killed me, because I was always a communicator yeah. with the press right. as a coach. And, you know, when you get there, you have guidelines they set up, which should be, you know. You also helped to bring Usher in some schools into the PSEL. Yeah. Including Eagle Academy for Young Men, too, which just won the PSEL Boys AA yes. City Championship. Yes, yes. Talk to us about that. Well, yeah, that was that. Well, first of all, Eagle Academy is at located at 271 PSEL. Uh, Junior High School 271, IS 271, which I used to be a, a dean over there. Um, but they in Brownsville. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn Collegiate is another team with Coach Connors over there because, you know, Malcolm uh, Connors, great guy and everything. So, but the way it happened with Eagle mm -hmm. is I had my nephew there, Rasheem Dunn, yeah. and so was uh, Pond. Shamari Pond, yeah. Right. So now, here we getting ready to have, which see what school he's going to go to. And <laughs> so they're like, look, coach, can we keep him here? And we build our own team. I said, y'all don't have a team right now. I would help y'all get a team. I promise y'all. But I got to move my nephew on. And I knew wherever Shamari was going to go, Rob was going to go. So they both was like in that. So Eagle wanted to hold on to those two talented young men, even though they didn't have a high school basketball team at that time. Well, they was pushing me yeah, yeah. to say, Coach, let's get me a team. Yeah. You know, and I said, well, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it on the back of my, my, um, nephew. my nephew. Yeah. However, I told them the next year I would make sure that they get a team. And they did. And we got a team. Um and people was like, oh, what are you doing at Nah? Because they, they are old school. And um, here we are, seven years later, they won the chip. So that was, I was celebrating them. All of my, my um, 
my nephews are all there at that school. And uh, but the main thing is that it was a school that I brought in. And uh, same thing with um, Metro BDA. Okay. Alternatively. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the transfer league. Okay. And we very again words have power. <laughs> yes, sir. Alternative was a, a negative thing. Yeah. Transfer league that is not an alternative. To be honest with you. Kids in the ninth and tenth grade can go to that school. Mm-hmm. They just accelerate, and people don't understand this. That school, you can accelerate your courses and graduate early. Mm-hmm. And um, but the purpose of that league was so that these prep schools, where kids took mom going to prep, you ain't going to prep because you you know prep. They're only going to take the total elite. Yeah. So we needed a place where kids can get their high school diploma and still play ball because they're motivated by that. So that's where we came up with the um, yeah. the transfer league. Mm-hmm. And uh, at 275, my former school, we brought in. They won the championship in the last six or seven years. You know, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. With uh, the, the Eagle story, a school that a team that didn't even exist seven years ago. Now here they are winning the city championship. I think sometimes people get frustrated with the PSL and think nothing really moves up there. Yeah. But here you go. you made an addition, and we've seen the fruit of that a few years later. Right. And not just a city championship. They've produced Division One athletes. They're producing scholar athletes over there at Eagle Academy. They are, yeah. They're doing a great job. And this is a, a, a rap against our community, uh, New York City ball, is that a lot of the coaches said they don't want to come in to the city get players because they academically are not eligible. I was fighting to get the academics raised up to 75 mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to 65. Because um, a 65 average is not good enough no. for our young people to go to college. And we as a coach in the athletic community, we know better. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand the Department of Education say, well, you passed, so you should be able but Whatever we expect, that's what our young people give them. Yeah. Guys like Rob Phelps, Kenny Pretlow, and those guys, they give an expectation of 80. Yes, sir. And they're getting it. And guess what? Their top players going on to play college ball. Without question. So uh, there's a, that formula works. If you, if you expect less, you get less. Mm-hmm. So, um, but PSAO, sometimes it takes time because it's just real difficult mm-hmm. to make change right away. You cannot change a huge train and just turn it when it's already on the on, on thing. You have to take each car, just turn it one at a time. Mm-hmm. So anybody that think they come, that's what I course is Coach Haskins, because yeah. that's my buddy. Me and him was tight. He, I've learned a lot from him. But I cautioned him when he came in that, look, it ain't going to be easy to make changes like that because you're in the midst of it, and the primary thing is to run the league mm-hmm. and make sure the league is ran properly. And um, so any of his frustration, I'm sure he's probably got many uh, because it just doesn't work like that. And mm-hmm. there's different layers and so forth like that there. Uh, but I think um, with him and uh, uh, with uh, Danny Harris, yes, I think eventually they're gonna they're gonna you know see it from the same point of view because they both uh, have a love for um, the BSAL. Mm. 
When I met Danny, I didn't. I realized that yo, this guy was trying to make changes there. Danny and Harris is now the senior executive director. Now he's a senior, yeah. But when he was in there as a program coordinator, he was literally a lot of our conversations making changes. So I thought that uh, somebody like Ray Haskins coming in also, who's more connected to the community, yeah. also wanted to make changes. So. Uh, you know, hopefully their job is to get them to uh, step up together. Eventually they will, yeah. and because um, the basketball season is gone. Yeah. So basketball is a different monster than tennis and all the other sports that right. Coach Haskins is in charge of now. Mm-hmm. So um, I anticipate um, the smoothing out of um, things, and um, hopefully we get some of the ideas that Coach Haskins has, and he realizes that... Uh, uh, that Danny Harris also want those same ideas. Coach, I came to see you recently, and I was telling you about the Moss City Alumni Classic, but you also shared with me a project you are working on. What is it, the Breathplex? Breathplex, Please, yes. tell me about it. The Breathplex is a, um, it's the home of um, High School Hall, Hall of Fame Center for Athletics, um, and right now we emphasize in basketball as a start, but is athletics, and it's a it's a twofold. It's back in. Um, it's a center you're looking to build. Yes, so I'm getting ready to say it's twofold. It's it's is the uh, brick and mortar uh, center uh, construction that we've been looking to build, even when the uh, mayor here in New York was the borough president, and I took the idea to him, uh, mayor, mayor Adams, and uh, as borough president, and he fell in love with it. Like, yo, let's do this. Yeah. And we begin to look for places, and he had his entire team designated to help us out. I brought in Rolando Blackman, John Sally, all the biggies, Nate Archibald. Everyone wants this to happen. Of course, the pandemic came. Mm-hmm. And then what happens there, everything gets shut down. Then the mayor now is running from borough to mayor, mm-hmm. and... So now he's trying to settle in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, what I did was said, okay, now what I'm looking to do in addition to that, which we have everything set up for the construction of that, uh, and that's headed by uh, a former Andrew uh, Jackson alumni, uh, uh, Rick Pilgrim. He built museums all over the country. Wow. So he's heading that for me. Um, but what we decided to do is also to build uh, the uh, Breathplex in the metaverse. Okay. And begin to, to build it there. So now we have an app that we're going to be bringing out, and every student will be able to create their own um, uh, Breathplex uh, exhibit inside the Hall of Fame. If you were an athlete in the city, you can create Yes, you'll be able to do that. And not only in this city, but other cities right. as well. Because once you go into cyberspace and technology, it becomes a whole new different thing. But the thing I like about this is we're focusing on not only, yes, we're going to do the 3.2% that go on to play college. Yes, we're going to talk about the one less than 1% that play pro. But that 97% of guys that play or girls young ladies that played high school basketball. That's a special group because mm-hmm. only 7% of the total population 
of students in New York play basketball. Seven yeah. percent. Select group. That's a special group. And we need to start telling them how special they are. When I became commissioner, I would go around to all the schools. And when I go to the schools, I noticed that even at Canarsie, the banners that we used to have were taken down. Mm. So the history was gone. Mm -hmm. I would go, there's no Talentine, there's no Bishop Ford, there's no Rice, there's no Power Memorial. So where is the history? Yeah. So our young people don't know the history. Yeah. So I would say, look, you know what? That would be a task. So once again, I resigned from the PSAL. PSAL so I could take on this project. Wow. Because to me, that's a legacy building project that will also take alumni like yourself and all the other folks and say, hey, you made it as a high school player. You're special. And we want you to know that you're special. So you now have the opportunity to be a part of that um, uh, breath plex. So. Coach, and you know, I was speaking to Ray Haskins, also a neighbor, telling me about all the great former high school athletes we, we had. I didn't even know Vinnie Johnson came from the PSAL. Rod Strickland is from the PSAL. Uh, you mentioned Power Memorial. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was for a long time the all-time leader scorer in NBA history. You know, we don't really have a place for these guys to come back. You know, we, we sometimes we can be critical or they don't come back to the city, but we got to offer them a place to come back and uh, be celebrated and also in turn help celebrate us. So you, you, at your age, this is why I, I uh, encourage you to continue to do this. Mm -hmm. And we have to, and that's one of the things that Breathplex is doing. We're going, we encouraging guys like yourself mm -hmm. in the media to be become the media, mm -hmm. because if your your lens uh, is a different lens than everybody else, and um, but what you're saying is. Even the game that you, the games that you're doing with the CUNY, mm -hmm. you bring in people back. You're celebrating them. The community has to celebrate their own. Yes, sir. See, what we don't do is when Mike Tyson won the championship. Other people, when they win the championship, the town do a big parade <laughs> and everything. We, we don't do anything. You're right. Bro. And Mike you want to know why he took three hundred million dollars and and did what he did when we don't celebrate. Our athletes like we should. Never thought of that. Yes. And you know, the other thing that we also don't do is if our athlete goes to college, most of the time the athletes become indoctrinated into college. Yeah. So when they make their money in the pros, they give their money back, like Draymond did, who's a, a very conscientious person, but he gave $3 million back to his college. Who, Draymond? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But he's not giving it back to the hood. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where all the development of the players yeah. come from, is right here. Mm -hmm. And the living example is LeBron James. Yeah. No college touched him. He Everything you see and like about him, all that he's done, that came from the hood. That came from the coaches that was there. They put things in his head. Those men that his mother was smart enough to put around him, mm -hmm. when you hear him speak and, and coming back to the community, mm -hmm. that's what he does. So the breathplex, if we're going to bring so much resources back to the community. I am talking to uh, the chancellor of New York uh, City, um, chancellor for education. I'm talking to 
back to the mayor's office and everything. So everyone is supportive of this because it's it's going to be something that's going to bring People back. us back. And I'm not just talking about the pro players. I'm talking about what about those doctors on my team? My CFO comes from out of um, a D with Clinton. One of my top creators with Game Over, right? He's he comes from out of Truman. You see, yeah. all of my people that are coming, they come from out of the schools that are my um, my uh, construction manager. He mm -hmm. comes from out of Jackson. Yeah. See, so it's important for us to um, bring these type of people back, so our kids can see that when the game is over. You can look to see this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's why with your event on May 6th, it's important for us to bring young people mm -hmm. to this event and give them an opportunity to sit down and talk to some of the, uh, the, the players that's playing in the game. What are yeah. you doing? So That's one of the things I want to try to help lead in that. How many high school kids, I want them to come and hear the story. Maybe we can have a little section where they talk to them yeah, and um, sure. and say, hey, yo, you know what? I played CUNY ball, you know? Look at this. And I, I tell kids now, and I'm at my age, right, 69, I'm, I'm able to get on the court right now, and you're, called, you're talking about getting ready to play college ball, yeah. and I could get on the court and bust your butt? <laughs> no old man close bust your butt. Yeah. But you know what? I played at CUNY. Yeah. I played at John Jay. So trust me, there's some bad dudes that came through John Day, Walter Murray, sure. whole bunch of people, you know. So not John Jay alone, but I'm talking about the, the CUNY, the CUNY, yeah, the CUNY right in the city. In yeah. the city. Yeah. So a lot of kids came through the CUNY, uh, and and right now with the portal and all that's going on with the yeah. NCAA, y'all better read up on a, on the CUNY. Y'all yeah. need to get in there. And make it become as powerful as That's another reason we do this, uh, Coach. Uh, the Monster City Alumni Classic taking place May 6th. It's to kind of remove the stigma that is associated with playing in the city, playing in D3. Because as you mentioned, we got some dudes. You got some dudes. We got some yeah, dudes that hooped. And I actually reached out to Danny Harrison, invited him to the Monster City Alumni Classic May 6th. Because not only are we college athletes, but a lot of our journeys started in the PSAL. Yes. Oh, yeah. And 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 the CHSA. Yes. You yes. Because I was on both sides. Yes. I have to get it. I got to get it. You know. And yeah. one thing about Staten Island team, uh, they they bring up a, they make sure they get that CHSA player in yeah. there because of the training that they get yeah. from freshmen and so forth. But the answer also to 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 your point, um, with the new portal things, a lot of our hot seniors are not going on. Even then, because if I had a choice of taking player, experienced player, out of the portal versus a high school senior, yeah. I'm taking that player yeah. there. So now that a senior has to go on somewhere, and um, so you high school you, senior, you, yes. Yeah. And one thing I love about uh, the CUNY, those are the real true ballers. Why? Because I had guys firemen. Uh, my boy Anthony Lamponte, he was freaking, he was on uh, with the UPS, going to school, <laughs> UPS, plus making my practices. Yes, sir. And I had to tell him, I'm like, yo, I got amazing respect for y'all mm -hmm. because y'all doing all of this 
Plus, she said, y'all must love this game. And plus, I had to deal with me as the coach, <laughs> you know, so I always had a great respect for my players, especially on the CUNY level, because I know that, look, y'all out there trying to get paid, take care of your children, mm-hmm. plus play ball. Those are the ballers. That's, how, are, that's our story, Coach. That's your, yeah, that's our story. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you know? oh, real quick on Brooklyn College. You uh, only CUNY team to go to the Final Four. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, the CUNY schools haven't done well in the NCAA tournament. Like, Why do you think you were able to make that run? And or why do you think of recent years the CUNY school hasn't been able to m- be on a national scale? I think the CUNY... In their coaching, they making a the transition. Okay. So you have uh, a different type of coach. We get in younger coaches mm-hmm. and and coaches that are learning the whole aspect of coaching. Um, number two is um, getting some of the good players to stay at home, mm-hmm. so they don't expose the CUNY like they should. So the players don't really know until they become the second fiddle. Like like when I coached, players literally wanted to play for me Mm. because I was ingrained in the community. So they were like, I'm coming here because I want to play for you, coach. Mm. Same thing when I was at Brooklyn College. So we need to do things like you're doing. Be honest with you. because And the coaches got to get behind that. Because what that does, it brings them back into the community. Mm-hmm. So we should reach out to these coaches and say, hey, look, come out. Yeah, bring some of your players. Let them see some of the players because that's important as well. Um, if I was at John Jay or Brooklyn, I would be on this. Because I'm like, look, we need to go see some of the alumni. Yes, sir. And I will also make sure some of my alumni call you up and say, hey, let's get in there. By the way. I'm putting the word out there. There we go. Give 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 a call so that you now know that hey, look, I, you got alumni. This is a great place. They showcasing CUNY basketball. This is a great place to go and get that showcase. You know. We appreciate your support, Coach Gustus. Um, where can we find your books? I was trying to get my hands on one recently. Well, let me tell you, um, I got a, a new uh, book. Uh, the books that are coming out, there's a couple of them. Um, um, the Power in One Breath, which is very important. And that's a great book for me. Um, so I did a new edition of it. So that's going to be coming out again because mm-hmm. uh, I made some changes cool. to, to to hit it with the um, um, the pandemic and, and so forth like that. Um, I'm going to redo... Uh, Confession of a Mad Black Coach, because okay. that sold really well back in the days. Uh, I mean, I did a real great selling with that, um, got that word out. But that one there, people really, that opened up a lot of eyes to people who I am. Yes. Because people see where I'm at, but didn't see where I came from. And it was very therapeutic for me as well to be able to let out the why. Mm-hmm. Because we are motivated by the why. Yes. The why. Why did you do that? Why? You you know. So putting that word out, mm, you know, like, so now you understand when a player want to transfer to my school and I decide I'm not going to let you transfer because it really never 
was about winning games. Yeah. It was really about winning lives. Winning lives. Yeah. How can we uh, support the Breathplex right now? Uh, I'm getting ready to put out a, a thing where we're getting ready to push the app itself. Okay. Uh, we want to make sure that app is in the hand of all alumni and, and so forth because it will give an opportunity to put monies back into the community as it, as it stands. Um, so we want you to support the app. Uh, you'll be hearing more about that, uh, the BreathPlex app. And um, once they, what's it in the hand and then you go in there and you... And by the way, at the BreathPlex, even on the, in the metaverse, you literally will be able to go in and purchase goods from different schools. And those goods that you have will be supporting the school. Okay. Uh, so we have a what we call a give back campaign for all the different schools. My goal is I'm really challenged about um, the high schools traveling because I did Catholic school and I did private mm -hmm. and public. Public school, they go on the train. Yeah. Catholic school, we take our own bus, our own van, mm -hmm. whatever. And I think uh, if we want to deter a lot of the violence, if we can get a van or vans, for us to have our kids travel to and from games, then we can get get not have them get involved mm -hmm. with gang activities uh, on the trains and so forth, or being followed yeah. Yeah. and beat down. Because when I was a commissioner, I used to have to run to many places where we had after the game kids getting beat up, yeah. as opposed to taking them out of the community, put them on a van or a bus or whatever. So we lack a lot of funds. Yeah. So um, the breathplex is that going to be that instrument and that tool to bring monies to help these coaches who are doing a wonderful job. By the way, cheerleaders, managers, statisticians, all are part of the Hall of Fame as well because Amazing. they don't get enough. And lastly, community coaches. That was, that was my pet peeve <laughs> because I know that PSAL used to have a thing about uh, these community coaches as being on the bench. And I said to them, anytime we can get black men to come and be a part of a program, sitting on the bench, being there to help a Jefferson, because he need help. Because, <laughs> you know, you got to supervise all those kids yeah. and have that. And we don't celebrate them. We don't give them the proper training. If you don't like the way they act on the bench, then why don't we give them the proper training, yeah. give them the proper teaching, coaching. But still, those guys make such a difference. And when I walked into a gym, be honest with you, I see the security. Yeah. Security is cool. <laughs> but when I walk in and I see you, yeah. I see all my dudes from the neighborhood, yeah. I know we safe because that's how I roll. Because you see those guys. And I think that's one of the areas that I've, I've also got PSAL to kind of feel. That one, and also with this media thing. Okay. With you guys. Because they are really pushing now. They're, Danny was really helping and helpful on that as well. Like, look, we got to have our media. Yeah. These guys, these are former players that are trying to figure out their niche for they love the game. Yes, sir. And they, they have ways to do it. So it's changing. So we don't have CBS and, and Fox News right. and News 12 only. We got people like yourself that could tell a story. Community podcasters. Yeah, community, <laughs> that's right. Community podcasts, you know, do it. 
So anyway, man, I mean, I'm here to support what you're doing, uh-huh. and um, and I, I want to make sure that we keep this going on as well. I don't I don't know how how this thing. Me and you had a talk before, and I'm like, yo, what's the story, yeah. man? Uh, but we, we figure something out. We're gonna figure it out because we need to have you behind the mic in addition to some of the things that you do as well, and cause you do your homework too. By the way, I got to man, yeah. I got it, got it. Preparation is key. You baller, you supposed to know that, you know. Coach Gustus, um, it's been a pleasure to speak with you not only on this podcast but to communicate over the last few weeks. But I tell you, I feel like I've been watching you for a long time. You know, your work speaks for itself. And we've all benefited greatly from it. So I want to sincerely say thank you. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. The OG, original gentleman. But I know all the gangsters. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. I'm a gentleman, but I know all the gangsters. Uh, Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's WBH Radio. I'm William Holly. We out.